Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. With us today is Andy Malinsky. He is an award-winning author. He's a professor of psychology and organizational behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School, where he specializes in behavior change and cross-cultural interaction in business settings. It's, it's my pleasure to have Andy with us today. He's written about a topic that is close to my heart and a topic that we focus on a lot uh, at Bregman Partners is the idea of stepping outside of your comfort zone. The book that we're talking about today is Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. That's the book. Andy Malinsky is the author. Andy, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Andy, I want to start with this very basic question, which is why is it important to step outside your comfort zone? Uh, I think it, I, you know, I, I think the reason has to do with personal growth, I would say. Um, and so there has to be something in it for you. Um, I think we are often, um, we often have ambitions to, to, to do something at work, to try out different tasks, to step into a new role, maybe start a new business, um, confront a new challenge. Uh, and I think, a lot of these situations, you know, find a new job. A lot of these situations, these sort of transitional situations, you know, force ourselves, force us out of our comfort zone. And we, of course, can avoid doing these things. And I think we're pretty good at it. But if you do want to kind of approach instead of avoid, I think you're going to bump up against the challenge often of uh, having to stretch outside your comfort zone. It's interesting you use the word ambition because I think that's what it's about in many ways. I, I, I was um, years and years ago with a friend of mine at the beach and she was standing in the ocean about knee deep and I dove into the waves and I was yelling at her, come, you know, come out here. And she said, no, 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 I'm fine here. And I was like, come out because I'm scared of the water. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're fine. I'm here. Like you'll be safe. And she's, she kind of got upset and said, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't want to go out here. And it was the first time that I met against this concept because so much of what drives me is my ambition to do bigger things and to learn more and to grow. But it was the first time I came up against this idea that there are some people who are completely fine and recognizing that it's completely valid to go knee deep and say, I'm okay here. And I wonder whether you know, in all of your research, whether you've sort of met these people who have no desire to step outside of their comfort zone and it feels like that's right for them and that's okay, or whether we should all be pursuing ambitions that are slightly bigger than we're comfortable with. <laughs> it's a really good question. And I wouldn't even necessarily um, type it as a person. It could be different parts of or times of your life as well, right? Uh -huh. That there, makes there, a lot of sense. There could be a certain time in your life. I remember I even talk about this in the book where I've, I've always had the ambition to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, and at the time, I remember when I was thinking about this, and by entrepreneurial, I mean write a book, maybe start to do some consulting and so on, maybe even build a small business. Um, I've always wanted to do that. But 
I also was pursuing, at least initially, the traditional academic path, and I was struggling and trying to get tenure, which is a, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's essentially uh, you have about six or seven years, depends on what school you're at, to kind of create a national or international reputation for your research. And then the school uh, writes for letters from experts in the world on your field, and they basically give you a thumbs up or thumbs down. And if you get a thumbs up, you have a job for life. If you have a thumbs down, you're fired. You're looking for a job for life. <laughs> You're looking for a job. So it was, a, as you can imagine, it was an incredibly stressful time. And on top of that, we were having our first child, my wife and I. And so like, you know, I don't think that was a time when I was going to venture deeper into the water. I mean, some people might have done it, I, I think, but I don't know. I Maybe I was too realistic, too sensible, too risk averse, too, I guess actually in that case, sensible. <laughs> And, you know, now my kids are 10 and 12. I have tenure and so on. And I now have the freedom in life and at work to maybe venture off into the deeper ocean, so to speak. But but I still get afraid, you know. You know, you bring up such an amazing point and it's a distinction between the sort of world of academia and the world uh, that, you know, many of the listeners are on and that many of us are in in organizations and which is you actually are in a situation in which you have a committed job for life. And, yeah, and so, and so you're in a place where you're saying, you know, beforehand, I didn't have a job for life and I, and I didn't really want to take risks until I knew that that was solid. But everybody, uh, you know, who's not in academia, who's out there at work is thinking, you know, I'm going to take risks at my work, but I don't have a job for life. <laughs> like these risks, you know, to my, if I take these risks, they hold great potential, but the downside is also more than just emotional. The downside is I might lose my job. I might, you know, get demoted. I might get passed up for a promotion. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you help think about that challenge? No, it's a good question. Um, and uh, I, th I think it's in that, you know I was thinking about your story earlier about the woman, <laughs> your friend in the water. Um, Let's call her Kathy because that's her name. That's her name. So I, was th <laughs> I was thinking about Kathy in the water. And, you know, I think it's very hard sometimes. We do put up a lot of defenses around us in the sense that we can sort of rationalize to ourselves that, you know, I, I, I don't want to venture into deeper water. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable here. You know, I'm maybe, maybe um, you know, start to think about how I, I, I even really like shallow water for X, Y, and Z reasons. But, you know, and sometimes those answers and those stories we tell ourselves are true and authentic and honest. And sometimes I think we're sort of defending against um, trying something new. Uh, and it's very, very hard, I think, to disentangle the two. Um, what, I, what I often advise people is, is to ask yourself, a, a do a little thought exercise, and sometimes this works for me. If you had a magic wand and you could just erase all the anxiety and the fear and the worry around the situation, in that in that circumstance, then would this be something you'd want to do if you could literally just get rid of the fear and worry? And if you can, you know, engage in that thought exercise, and 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 if you can actually see and say, yeah, actually, it would be cool to go into that deeper water, you know. But you know, that sometimes helps pull apart the worry from the ambition. Do you know what I mean? Right. Is is the worry data that we should be listening to? Is is the is the anxiety around a comfort zone something to erase or is it something to listen to? I think it's something – I think it's data for sure. 
and once you have once you treat it as data you start to have a bit more sort of distance from your emotion and i think you're more capable of handling it and i think also it's important to think of it as data in the sense that you can the more fine grain you can be about what the source is i think the more equipped you'll be to be able to handle it so for example in the book i talk about all sorts of um, psychological roadblocks that people face when stepping outside their comfort zone. You might code it in some way as general fear or anxiety, but it actually might be that you're worried that you'll feel inauthentic or you're worried that you won't be liked or you worry that you'll feel and look incompetent and so on. And so I think the more you can start to put a, a name to these fears and to identify them, I actually think the more con- Control you start having over them. So, yeah, and you, yeah, I'm just going to mention the other two that you talk about, which is resentment and morality. The sense that you may be immoral, or you may, um, you know, that there's a that you may feel resentment. I think if I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, that's right. Yeah. So 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 logically, you you know, you know, when in Rome, act like the Romans. Yeah. In this situation, this is kind of what I got to do. Whatever whatever it might be, I'm in a networking event. I, Got to find a way to make chit chat and promote myself. But that doesn't mean I have to like it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then the morality one is, um, you know, people don't always feel this, but I ran into a lot of stories of people who did. I have to tell you, I I opened the book with a story of a young entrepreneur who who ended up having to um, fire her best friend. Um, I I spoke with a, a woman who was a booker at a national TV show, and her job was to get people on the air and to be the first to get people on the air, even if it was like the case of a tragedy, and she had to get the family to come on air and talk about it and compete with all the other networks and be pushy about it. And you can imagine, I mean, she said that that like a piece of her soul was sucked out every time she did that, and you know, she eventually left, but that that's a good example of the morality challenge. So my, my point, I guess, is that um, is that we all face psychological roadblocks one of one form or another and sometimes combinations like a cocktail of them and i think that that can make it that that can make it tough to to step outside your comfort zone but kind of identifying them and putting a name to them i think is the first step one of the things that you talked about is this um uh, someone who like people fear crying you you mentioned in your book people fear crying they don't want to cry um and and it, it, it struck me. I wrote that I wrote that sentence down because it's one of these really interesting examples where uh, I, I'll put myself in that category. You know, if I'm in a meeting with someone, and even if I feel emotionally touched and and I feel tears in my eyes, I'm going to find it a, I'm find it a little embarrassing, and and I don't I kind of want to hold back. On the other hand, when I'm on the other side of that. And I see somebody who's crying or somebody whose tears well up in emotion. I'm so deeply touched by that. And, and there's this discrepancy. There's this disconnect between how I judge myself and how I judge other people. And that in terms of doing something that's outside of my comfort zone, when someone else does something, I don't judge them for it. But when I'm doing that same thing, I judge myself and I try to stop myself from doing it. Did you explore this at all in your research? It didn't, but it's a really interesting question, and I think – I imagine it has to do with a lot of things like – I mean we could speculate, but you know, about your role in that situation potentially, mm-hmm. about the, the – the, could be the, the uh, feeling of um, psychological safety you have in that relationship and perhaps in the context as well. Um, could be gender-related, mm-hmm. r- um, sort of almost like 
gender expectations or your role expectations of who I'm expected or supposed to be in this situation. Although actually, no, I, I have to tell you, I did encounter this. I'm sorry. I, it just it just occurred to me as we were talking. You know where I encountered this is when I was studying police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I as part of this research, so I studied people from all sorts of professions. Um, you know, entrepreneurs, managers, doctors, police officers, rabbis, priests, baristas, you name it. I mean, even a goat farmer. <laughs> and I and in 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 one of the one of the sets of people that I studied along with my, my colleague, who's a, a friend of mine and a Harvard Business School professor, we, um, we studied police officers evicting people's from their, people from their homes. And I remember I personally did a ride-along, it's called, with, um, with two police officers in their car through a major metropolitan city. So it was an entire day of evictions that I, I was in the back of the cop car with, you know, the bulletproof vest and everything. <laughs> and, uh, and, I were remember you outside. The, were you outside your comfort zone? Definitely, like literally, <laughs> literally outside my comfort zone. I mean, these, these are like the worst neighborhoods of this major city. Um, yes, definitely outside my comfort zone, and it was a very surreal experience. I have to tell you, to be in a, in a police car. I, we could get into that. Like one, one funny thing was um, like going through a red light. That is what a weird experience. It's, like it's a complete vis- cognitive disconnect. Exactly, your yeah. visceral reaction is wait that's not appropriate. You're going to get caught. And then you realize you're in a police car. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but, you know, they did talk about crying and, um, and they talked about how it was, it was okay to show some emotion, but ultimately that's not the role that, that, that they're in. And that's not how they see people. That's not their perception and their sense making of the way that people want to see them. So interesting because as you're speaking, I'm thinking that in a nutshell is the birthplace of innovation, which is, I mean, I know we're not talking specifically about innovation, but if I'm willing to do something differently than everybody else in my role is willing to do, that's a risk that makes me distinctive from everybody else. And it could get me thrown out of the group or it could make me distinctive enough to say there's someone who's really special and who's really capable. And I think part of the discernment of of stepping outside of our comfort zones is recognizing that every role, every job, every community, every uh, culture, uh, every organizational culture – has its own comfort zone. There's not just a comfort zone to us as an individual. There's a comfort zone to the culture. And if we're willing to push the boundaries of that comfort zone, we end up being really distinct from the people around us, which, you know, has its own issues, which could either be really, really great or could get us, you know, in effect exiled. That goes back to your original question about why step out your side, your comfort zone. So right. one of the one of the answers could be, you know, distinction, distinctiveness and innovation, right? Or, or, by the way, on the flip side, it could be, um, it could be um, breaking the rules, breaking the norms and or failing in innovation, right? So there's the, there, that's the inherent risk. Right, right. There's yeah. nothing wrong with walking around barefoot, but if you go into a museum barefoot, that's a different you know, step <laughs> right. than if you're going to a beach barefoot, right? Exactly, right. exactly. Although maybe the museum will realize that there's tremendous upside from this experience and that there's this tactile experience of being in a museum barefoot that, that you know, revolutionizes museums. And that's 
that's the potential. There's your innovation. That, right? There's your innovation, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, a lot of the work that I do and that I'm focused on in terms of leadership is, is in the category of what I call emotional courage. And emotional courage is the willingness to feel things. And, and in my perspective, when people are afraid of taking risks, they're not afraid of the risk itself. Nobody's afraid of, of literally the, the physical act of walking barefoot in a museum. That's not hard to do. It's not hard to raise a difficult conversation by telling something, uh, by, by telling someone how you feel. The, the, the act of telling them how you feel in a vacuum is not hard. You could do it with a mirror. But when I do it with you, if it involves you, if it involves a criticism, I'm going to start to feel all sorts of things. I'm going to feel badly. I don't want to hurt you. I'm going to feel the possibility of your rejection. I'm going to feel possibly shame. I'm going to, you know, and, and the, um, and, and so the challenge of, of stepping outside of a comfort zone, all of those are situations of stepping outside of a comfort zone. The challenge, I think, is a challenge of feeling, of what am I willing to feel? One of the things that I often talk about is that if I'm willing to feel everything, I can do anything. If I'm willing to feel the embarrassment or the shame or your rejection or the risk or the failure, then I can do anything. And I wonder also in terms of your research, where you've, you know, whether that resonates with you and whether there's, whether you have light to shed on that, this idea that the courage to step outside of our comfort zone is ultimately a courage of what are we willing to feel? Yeah, I I, th I think so. Um, I think that we. I think what I would say is is that that's true. Don't There's, be bashful about disagreeing with me if you disagree. No, no, me. no. It, right. Uh, <laughs> that could get into that could get into feelings. No, I actually yeah, right. <laughs> I, I have no problem disagreeing. I'm just trying to think of how I want to how I want to phrase what I have to say yeah. because I think that um I don't think it's purely. Um, like, like if we were, if we were then trying to extrapolate to how we would train or coach people, mm -hmm. it, I don't think it would exclusively be about tolerance for feeling. Mm -hmm. Although I think that that's important. I think it would be also around identifying and making sense of your feelings, mm -hmm. because I think that you start to have a bit more, the, the feelings lose a bit of their power and intensity if you can name them. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that we have the capacity to sculpt to some degree how we feel. Uh, we have the capacity to adjust and alter situations. We have the capacity to engage in sense making mm -hmm. that can not necessarily erase feelings, but alter feelings. Maybe For instance, reduce their intensity. Could either reduce their intensity or it could change them. So, for example, I could th I could be embarrassed or ashamed about something, but after having made sense of the situation in a different way, I might sort of feel a combination of embarrassment and pride, or whatever it might be, right? But we mm -hmm. have a I think the the power of sense making is quite powerful. So it's not I don't think it's simply I guess in my view a question of tolerating the experience of feelings, although that's critical because if people aren't capable of doing that, then, then you're right. I, I think that there's no real, there's not a good possibility of them being able to stretch outside their comfort zone. But I think there's actually more to it, I guess, which is good because it, it, if you say there's more to it, it's, it's ultimately that there, there are more tools in your toolkit, right? Right. And you talk about these tools. You talk about conviction, customization, clarity, which are ways of maybe 
you know, reducing or shifting the feeling in a way that reduces the barrier to your willingness to take the action that might bring you outside your comfort zone. Exactly. So, you know, I think that what psychology would say, in my view, is that, you know, it's not that, by the way, it's not that emotion or anxiety or stress is bad. In fact, you know, oftentimes you, you want to have some of it to be able to perform at peak performance, right? You don't want to like, like think about like you want to kind of feel juiced in some way or excited. You need some anxiety, but there's a threshold for it. And I think that threshold is very personal, right? We all have different thresholds, but you don't want it to be over the top. You don't want it to be flooded because then if that's the case, you're not going to have the capacity to innovate and to be yourself and to be authentic and to be effective and all that. So, I think it has to do with the mechanisms of sort of changing and sculpting, but also tolerating emotion. And the tools that I provide are, for example, conviction. The idea of um, – we go through them, but I don't know if we want to go through all of them. But conviction is the idea of having that deep sense of purpose in what you're doing. And I found across the board that was so critical for people to, to identify and own and, and the, of course, the source of conviction is so variable, like pe- pe- different people have different sources of conviction and it has to be very meaningful to you. But sort of identifying that as a tool, locating and then embracing your own source of personal conviction ends up being quite powerful, I found. Yeah. And, and, and you also talked about customization, this idea of you know, doing things your own way so that yeah. it's more malleable, it's more, it's more acceptable to you. It's it's. It's, you know, you're, you're able to have the hard conversation the way you would have the hard conversation. Take- or even a little bit more right. the way you – like it's, it's sort of like situation sculpting in some ways. So I'll give you two – like I mean I have a lot of examples in the book from all sorts of professions. But like I, I, I got two cool examples last week people told me, which I thought was kind of neat. One guy is a, is a former banker, like kind of a big-time banker now. And if you looked at him, you'd like think it was like impossible that he was afraid to speak in public. But he told me that 20 years ago he was terrified to speak in public. And he was giving a big speech one of his first big speeches in Boston and he flew down a close buddy of his from New York flew up I guess a close buddy of his from New York City with the sole purpose of sitting eighth row center in his speech <laughs> like literally like to That's have that a smiley great, friendly speech you know? it's a great idea it's a, it's a, it's and an so, idea of someone with deep pockets but it's a great idea <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Here, but here's another example of someone without deep pockets. The other story was a was a actually a student of mine, an MBA student, and she's very very shy, and she really wants to be able to meet people. Frankly, you know, professionally for sure, but even um, socially, and so she would go to um, parties or. I mean, not even networking events. Let's just say parties or get-togethers, and she'd sit in the corner and wouldn't really talk with anybody, and so on. And then she had this brilliant idea, and, and she loves to take photos. She brought a selfie stick to a party, and if you think about it, what a great prop, right? Because all of a sudden, it it facilitates interaction. People are curious about it. People think it's cool. They take pictures. It's it it creates a social sort of glue and then there's sort of a then there's like a rationale or a reason for her to exchange emails and so on so it's like she's like it was like this massive change for her just bringing that little prop it's like that's just an example of I, I think we have more power than we think to make these subtle but meaningful changes in the situations we encounter and that can 
change the emotions in some ways you were talking about either the presence or absence of certain emotions or their intensity you know what's interesting too is the the um, emotional courage or the the outside the comfort zone she needs to take that step is she just has to take that step once which is to bring the selfie stick that in and of itself might be stepping outside her comfort zone but once she has it everything takes care of itself versus otherwise she would have to well up the courage to go to each person one at a time and and there's probably some issue of like the quality of the um, of the comfort zone reach, but also the quantity of it. You know, if you have to do it thirty times in a party, you're you know, it, I imagine that it would be overwhelming. But if you do it once just to get to the party, dressed the way you're going to dress, that gets people asking questions. Well, now you've taken care of that. It still takes some stepping outside your comfort zone, but but less frequently in a way that allows you to get more of what you want. Yeah, it worked for her. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much. The book is Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. The subject is such a critical subject for any of us who have any desire, ambition, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, to reach beyond where we are right now. It's going to require that we do some things that are completely new to us, that are probably uncomfortable, that may feel inauthentic, that may risk our likability, that that may make us feel incompetent. All the stuff that you talk about in your book and you give us some really great ways of 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 an encouragement really of stepping into uh, outside of that comfort zone and into the space that we can create for ourselves and our potential. Andy Malinsky, thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me. This I really enjoyed the conversation. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Bregman Leadership Intensive, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you to Claire Marshall for producing this episode and to Brian Wood, who created our music. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.